the elective for married and engaged. Okay, can I have the next first slide, please? The title slide. Good, so that's what we're going to talk about. So you're having a handout, and it's not, it's not lecture notes. It's a little activity that we are going to do later, and I'm, we're not going to have time to do the whole thing, but I'll introduce it to you later. So put it away. Don't start doing that right now. You will get very distracted if you do. So, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in a very seductive culture. We've already talked about culture, but we live in a culture of individualism and what we call narcissism, which says, look at yourself and somehow find out how you can be happy. So it's all about selfishness. It's about looking into myself. We need to call it for what it is. It's a culture that says it's good to be selfish. It's actually good to only look after yourself, the me that matters. And this same culture is obsessed with marriage in a funny way. In one way, it's a very paradoxical way. On one hand, the whole marriage redefinition debate, or marriage equality, if we want to call it that, it held out that the ultimate end for life is this couples and marriage. So in other words, I have to express myself if, if I love someone, whoever this someone may be, be it the other sex, the same sex, a group of people, whatever, I have to express myself in marriage because marriage is in some way valuable. On the other hand, we also read and watch on television and see that marriages are just a joke. You know, watch television and you see that same tired trope of an immature husband, an unhappy wife, just staying together for the children, and all the jokes are on the poor husband. You know, you see those television shows. So what is it in our culture? Simultaneously, marriage is the superlative thing which everybody should be aspiring to. As well as marriage is just a failure, a sort of a picture of some bygone age. In this culture, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what does a godly marriage look like? And what does sex play in this marriage, if anything at all? What does it mean, as we talked earlier, to live in such good lives that non-Christians looking at us will see something special as man and woman in marriage? What does it mean? How can we show that to the world? In a world where today, as Satan did to Adam and Eve, Satan will say, did God really say? Did God really say that you have to stay with one person, even when that person isn't satisfying you? Should you? Is that what you have to do? 
Or should you be satisfying yourself by going out and finding what pleases you? Did God really say? Now the next slide. See, now we already talked about the culture, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, which is good because we've got more time to talk the more practical stuff, as you've all been promised. But very briefly, we've talked about desire. Remember, the world says, take what you want, follow your heart. See, as Christians, we need to say, in marriage, what does it mean then to follow my heart? What does it mean to look for my personal satisfaction of my desire. Think for a moment about that. You made a covenant commitment to another person. But the world says your desires are what matter. In marriage, we make that we will stay with you, I promise you before God and his people, till death do us part. What does that mean for our marriage? Does it mean when you no longer, you know, bring that testosterone-driven dopamine, you know, palpitations to me, that I should look elsewhere for those palpitations? What does love mean in a marriage? Is it that always we should be feeling the dopamine surge? Now let's go back to your wedding day for a moment. So there you were. You know, he looked so handsome. You know, in his three-piece, I don't know, tuxedo or whatever he wore. And he was standing there. And every woman in the room was in love with him. <laughs> and in today's culture, probably half the men. But anyway. <laughs> and, and she was so beautiful. She was your princess. And you loved her. Your heart was swelling and breaking out of its ribcage in love. Because all the men were looking at her and thinking, what a woman, what a girl. What I, wouldn't I love to be there? See, that's your wedding day. And then fast forward, say five, six, ten years. And you get up one morning. And you look at the bed, you know, the pillow next to yours. And there he is, or she is, morning hair, morning breath, <laughs> drool, eyes with all the night stuff on them. And you think, my prince. Or you think, did he change into the frog over the last few days? You see, what is love? Is love always a palpitation? See, the Bible talks about love as something that seeks the good of the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. It never fails. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in a world that says just go with your feelings and your palpitation, the word of God says falling in love is a strong emotion, song of songs. But staying in love, actually loving is an action, the action of loving. And that action is often sacrificial 
and it's compromised, and we'll talk more about this as we go along. However, we need to understand that clearly, because when the passionate feelings pass, we are, lived, we are left with that beautiful, deep bonding that has come out of our sexual intimacy. The world looks at long-term Christian marriages as some form of bondage. We say it is God-given bonding that holds us together. And that bonding is that action of saying, I will love you even when it is sometimes hard to love you. And let's face it, those of us who have been married for any time recognize that, that we don't always palpitate. Although I'll tell you later how you can bring back some palpitations. But the reality is, it is that loving in the hard times that builds up your marriage. It's easy when you look at your husband and you feel the flutter and you want to drag him into the bedroom. It's easy to love at that time. It's sometimes when you know you really don't feel like it and you still love that you're building up a true relationship. Because as we discussed, that it is so important that we sexual intimacy is a God-given binding act. Now, I didn't go into this in detail, but we will come back and we will discuss that we're talking about sexual intimacy here. You would have noticed, I didn't say sexual intercourse is a binding act. Sexual intimacy is a binding act. All forms of intimacy is binding. And that's important because most often we buy the world view that sex equals intercourse. See, I am sometimes asked, how many times should we have sex? And I say, well, three times a day would be good. And every husband's eyes light up like they're doing now. And the reality is, I say, yeah, a good old pash in the morning, a cuddle when you come back from work, and a good hug before bed. And you've had sex three times for the day. And then the faces fall. You know, but the reality is, that's what it is. Intimacy is a deeply binding act. Why do you think it's called naked and no shame and one flesh? So God created Adam and Eve and they were together. They were naked and felt no shame and they were in a one flesh. That binding of husband and wife. Nakedness is an ultimate vulnerability. Teach your children this. When you are naked, I'm looking around and you are all tight and taut and young, well, most of you. I mean, you know, you know everything is where it's supposed to be. You just wait till you're 71 and things are moving down to Melbourne. Then you will realize... That being in that naked and no shame where you can be vulnerable naked and feel totally trusting of this person you are with. I mean, when you can look at him and go, oh, look where that wrinkle is. I remember when it was up there. I mean, you know, or remember, look where that is. I remember when it was up there. And, and the point is that that trust that comes out of knowing that someone has promised 
to love you even when you're gravity challenged, just as much as they loved you and desired you when you were gorgeous as a prince or a princess. That is the love of true marriage. That is why godly marriage and intimacy go together. And that is why we need to understand the real depth of what Christian marriage is. Can I have the next slide? So let's have a quick, quick walk through. Now, this we've, a lot of this we've already talked about, but I think it's good to talk about it again. God's plan for marriage at creation, man, woman. Remember the whole creation story? God created morning, evening, night, day, moon, sun, everything. And he said, this is good. This is good. Then he creates Adam and Eve, man and woman. And it is very good. Man and woman is very good. And when given the job, as we discussed in the morning, of getting out there and making babies, that was a wonderful task. You know, we need to be really, really comfortable with our genitals. Now, I don't know whether any of you are engaged couples here, but for engaged couples, it's really important, especially for those of you who are going into your marriages as celibate as not having sex, sexual intercourse before, that we understand that our genitals are created good. See, penises and vaginas, God made and made them for each other. Like I said, I just am an anatomist also being a doctor. I love penis anatomy because God created it to do exactly what he wants it to do. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And vaginas, they can hang on to the littlest, but they can also expand to let the baby's head through. I mean, is that a creative wonder or what? So be really proud of your genitals. They are beautifully complementary. And as we discussed, this God's given good creation, unfortunately, when we turned away from God, Adam and Eve, when they rejected God, when we rejected God, and we moved out of the Garden of Eden, it marriage, like everything else, was broken. Our desires are broken. But it is still good because God created it. So this is basic. Marriages may have problems, but marriage is a good God-given institution. Remember the difference. We may say, but my marriage isn't everything I would like it to be. True, we are broken human beings. But that doesn't mean your marriage is not good. Because God brought you together as man and woman for a purpose. And that is a good purpose. But that being said, we must also remember that our marriage doesn't complete us. As we discussed, only Christ completes. Because after all, the Bible is very clear that there will be no marriage in heaven. Oh, say the ones who are madly in love. But you will know each other, but the only marriage in heaven will be with Christ and the church. But while we wait, we are asked to have a lot of good fun in marriage. Next slide, thank you. So let's talk about the good fun we can have. Again, a lot of things you already know from morning the discussion. Sex, intimacy is a good gift from God. 
Remember the power of it? We already talked about it. But there's more. The Bible tells us a lot more than just a bit about Song of Songs. Listen to Proverbs chapter 5. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you be intoxicated with her love. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that's in the Bible. So even when you're not as flexible as a deer or agile as a doe, and your breasts aren't where they were when you were 20, even then you are called to be intoxicated with the love that you feel for each other. Isn't that a beautiful thing to read in the Bible? And we talked of the power of the Song of Songs. You see, powerful things, I mentioned that. Fire is powerful. Protect the fire of your love. Keep it burning. Fan the flames in the right place. Set the boundaries of your marriage and protect it. You know, don't let it go outside. Pornography, extramarital attraction. These are seductive things. You know, you get the science of this desire and love and the bonding I talked about. Remember testosterone, dopamine, prolactin? Different chemicals, different parts of your brain, slightly different parts. So, you know, it is possible to be deeply committed to your husband or wife and still look at someone and feel that dopey feeling. It's possible. And watch out for that. That's when you pull back into your boundary of your marriage. Because that's tempting. That's Satan saying, oh, come on. You don't really get enough sex. But look at this person at work. I mean, he's so nice to you. He takes, pays much more attention than your husband or your wife does. And so you can feel, oh, maybe, you know, what harm? What harm? That is Satan saying, did God really say? That's the point at which you draw back. And you look at the boundaries and you say, I have set these boundaries. I will be faithful. You can be deeply committed to your husband or wife. Feel romantically dopey about one and feel a desire surge for someone else. You can even have all three happening together. Draw back and build your marriage relationship. I tell people every time the All Blacks play rugby, I feel that little spark of testosterone. <laughs> Sorry, Wallabies fans, but anyway... Anyway, that's just a side event. But, you know, even sexologists are capable of feeling desire. So the reality is that we need to protect this powerful fire of love between husband and wife. Because God gives it for a place and a purpose. That naked and no shame. In Hebrews 13, it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept Pure, pure meaning between husband and wife. Purity is purity of thought and of action. 
This is why we say there is nothing called couples porn. Couples say, can we watch porn together? And I uh, actually had that later on in the talk, but I want to talk about it, say that now. When couples ask me, is it okay if we watch together? I say, the problem is you watch porn, you're turned on, then you go to bed, who are you making love to? Your husband or your spouse or your porn star? That is not keeping your bed, marriage bed pure because you're lusting about someone else. It's turned you on, but not your spouse. So it's really important that we remember that. And it's meant for mutual enjoyment. God gave it for mutual enjoyment. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. They have authority over each other's body. And I love this. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you. So in other words, take time out for Bible study and prayer, but then come back and have sex. Don't you love that? Isn't that a good reason to do daily Bible study and prayer? I love it. Every husband here and wife is going to say, Let's do daily Bible study. Very important. And finally, your marriages demonstrate to the world the love of Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, Revelation. Christ and the church. Revelation, when Jesus comes back, the church will be like his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, we say, the apostle Paul says, it's a mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, your marriages show the world the shape of the gospel. Your marriages, in that 1 Corinthians 7, in giving your body to each other, you are binding to each other as well as showing the world what the gospel really means. That love and sacrifice coming together. This is what our marriages are meant to be. To be that mutuality of sacrificial sharing. And having good sex. Binding to each other with sexual intimacy. Not necessarily always intercourse. Yeah, intercourse is nice, but not necessary. And I'll keep coming back to this. We need to understand this. And so from there, next slide, thank you. We will move into a little bit of practicalities. And that is that men and women are different. We are a little different. In general, and I'm generalizing here, please ask questions when... Uh, I'm generalizing here. In general, men are a little like a microwave. You know, one button, one click, and they're warmed up and ready to go. <laughs> Women are a lot more complex, like a crock pot or like an oven that needs to be warmed up before the cake goes in. So all those dials. So, in general. So take a little, I'll take a few moments, next slide, to discuss this in a little bit more detail. So men are a little bit like the blue one, which is on your right, on your right, on your left, on your left. He knows that I don't even know right or left. So when we are driving, he says, just point, okay? Don't say right or left, which way I should be turning. Otherwise, we would have probably been in Sutherland today. 
So, in general, men are more visual. This is why, in general, men are the ones who are more drawn to porn viewing, because men are more visual. You walk in the room, you take one button off, your husband is up and ready to go. Blood rushes to the genitals, he gets an erection. If you go on to having sex, sexual intercourse, or any form of sexual activity, and he has an orgasm, then, and for men, brain orgasms and ejaculation occur together. So that happens together, he's done and dusted, ready for bed. Now, all that can happen very quickly. Now, women are incredibly more complex. So stay with me here. It's really important that you understand this as husband and wife. Many women would go into sexual activity, what we call sexual neutral, sexually neutral. So that's number one there, sexual neutrality. Why then do you go into sex? For because of intimacy, because you love your spouse, because you know that the cuddles and everything you have makes him feel good and makes you feel good. And that you still lie in bed and talk after that. Or sometimes even he's happy tomorrow morning after we have sex tonight. So whatever the reason, you go into it. Now the fun starts. When a couple actually communicate, you know that word communicate? It means you open your mouth and talk to each other <laughs> and actually ask, what can I do to make you good feel good? You know, that's not that difficult. You can practice. What can I do to have you have a good time today? And similarly, would you like me to tell you what feels good for me? You know, that's called communication. Talking is one of the sexiest things you can do in bed. You didn't know that, did you? Once you talk to each other and you actually find out what is good for each other and you're receptive to that and you romance each other. That takes a little time, that talking and touching and cuddling. Once you've done that, then the woman's body starts to respond. Then she starts to feel desire. Now, as a couple, if you haven't worked this cycle out for yourself, by this time, he's done and dusted and ready for bed. So understanding it is really important. Now the woman is ready, she's feeling desire, and this is the final thing where the women differ. Unlike for men, where the brain orgasm and the ejaculation occur together, for many women, they can have satisfying sex without actually seeing the Carver Bridge fireworks, without having the crazy orgasm jumping out of bed, they can still say, I feel really good. And the man says, but you didn't show me that orgasm. You're going back, what are you talking about? I'm fine. They say, but I want to give you an orgasm. He said, it doesn't come in boxes tied with purple ribbons. I mean, you know, if you want an orgasm, well, you can go, there are ways of like trying, working on it. But in general, enjoying the experience is sufficient for many women. So we can see here that understanding our cycle is really important. Can I have the next slide? So I want to introduce you. Now you can pick up that questionnaire. And I just want to introduce you to this. 
and I'm aware of the time, so I'm going to leave that for you to do at home. In this questionnaire, you will find, turn it over to where there are two columns. There are two columns. Now, how you do this is, each of you should have one. So if you're sharing, that is not good, right? You need, each of you need one. So you need to fold it along that center line. And one side says, as this one, when we make love, it feels good for me when you, in other words, your personal response. So you write that down. When we make love, it feels good when you tickle my big toe. <laughs> then you turn it around and you think, what would your spouse say? When we are making love, I think you really enjoy it when I scratch your bum. <laughs> or whatever. So you fill those for yourself and how you think your spouse might respond. And you take a little time doing that. Then you exchange it. And keeping very calm, <laughs> you read what your spouse's responses are. Then you pick one and you actually talk about it. Now, I have had things like, so you like your bum scratched, you know. So we, I would love to scratch your bum, but how about you have a shower before we have sex? Well, just... You know, I would appreciate it if you have. So, build a discussion around that. But be calm and do not say, how dare you say that this? Why haven't I done that before and you've not said that? Do not fight. But that's a really good communication tool. So, you know how to do it. I'm going to leave it with you. But your pastors are going to check up on you. <laughs> not tomorrow, maybe. But in a week's time, they will be checking up whether you have done it. So, please do it. Let's put that away for now. And let's move on to the next slide. So, let's talk a little bit about common concerns. Let's talk about desire concerns. See, what happened is, in our fallen world, we struggle with sexual desires. We, because Adam and Eve loved each other, their desires were for each other. Today we live in a world where it's a bit like this, you know. He's got a book that says 101 Concerns and she's got a book that says 102 Excuses. Is that the way it should be? We need to understand. We say know what you desire and your spouse desires. It is important to talk about it. I can never stress this enough. It is important to ask. It is important to share. What? Do not assume that your spouse knows what you like. How is he supposed to know? And we have a whole body that is full of sensory nerve endings. Gentlemen, all your nerve endings are not concentrated on your penis. You are not a walking penis. You have a whole body of sensory nerve endings. For those of you who bought The Best Sex for Life, there's a whole appendix there that talks of sensuality exercises. That says, forget that you have genitals and talk about, concentrate on enjoying the rest of your body. It's so important that we know that we have a whole body to enjoy and do it. So, 
you are more than your genitals. Spontaneity. We think that, you know, we must wait for the two people to feel this spontaneous desire. That is the fault of the movies. The couple meet. They feel crazily in love. They drag their clothes off each other while they're dragging each other to the bedroom. And they fall on the bed and they have intercourse and they have this simultaneous orgasm. That is so wrong. In true marriages, most of us, spontaneity goes something like this. Darling, shall we be spontaneous this Friday evening? (laughs) It needs a bit of planning. It is okay. Plan your sexual activity. It is important. Sometimes it means asking grandma and grandpa to mind the kids. Or, you know, those singles out there. Make friends with them, then they'll mind the babies while you have sex. You know, so whatever. Find that time to build up your time for each other. It's so important. And of course, we have talked about how pornography kills desire. Dear brothers and sisters, don't dabble with it. It destroys your desire. I told you, you know, I was only... Um, seeing Christian couples, almost every couple I saw had a present or past porn issue in their life. It destroys your relationship. When you are only turned on by porn stars, a normal human being, be it a man or a woman, no longer does it for you. When I have women who come and say, you know, that their husbands are asking for all sorts of bizarre sexual activities, you know that's from porn. It's so sad. Don't dabble with pornography. It rewires your brain. It is hugely deceptive. Satan, one of Satan's major tools in Christian marriages today. So let's talk a little bit about love. Next slide, thank you. So what about falling in love? Remember we talked about after a few years go by and love becomes like your spouse says, that's when you got to kiss the frog. Remember, turn your frog back into the the boy, man, woman you loved. Loving is an action. This is so important. So what if you really don't feel like you love? You know, you're looking and thinking, you know, who are you? Can you bring it back? What do you do to bring back that kind of zing? Firstly, you made a covenant commitment. So you keep that at the back of your mind. The 1 Corinthians 7, your body belongs to him, his body belongs to you. God says intimacy is an important part of your relationship. Intimacy, not necessarily intercourse. So every cuddle is important in building it up. Now, how do I bring this zing back? There are a couple of things that i give you. You know, one of them is make time for each other. Think back on some exciting things you did. Are you thinking right now, right? If it was bungee jumping near Queenstown or something, no. Maybe not when you're 70. But if you're young and, you know, agile, why not? But think of things that excited you, things that you wanted to do, and make time for it. You know, we talk about date nights as if, you know, oh yeah, yeah, have a date night. But 
date nights can be really special. Again, I'll tell you a little story of a couple who are telling me how they do their date night. They actually, one of them actually goes away and dresses at a friend's place. And then they meet in a hotel like they've just meeting for the first time. And so they bring back a bit of excitement into that relationship. So do fun things together. You know, just, just do something special. Make the time for that. It's so important. Your marriage, God gives you, and it's worth investing in, my dear brothers and sisters. It's truly worth investing in. Well, what about sex toys and fantasies and other sexual activities? I want to give you a three-pointer here. If you're thinking of anything, now we can't discuss any, everything here, but if you're thinking of anything as a couple, is anything okay once you're married? I want to run it by three points. Firstly, is it potentially harmful physically or psychologically to me or my spouse? Okay? Is it physically or emotionally harmful? Secondly, am I honoring my spouse in asking him or her to do this? Is it harmful? Am I honoring my partner? And thirdly, is it building our marriage up? Is it actually strengthening us as a couple? In other words, if I'm in an all-marriage Bible study or connect group, can I share this? <laughs> Don't start listing everything from now. But those are three things you can think about. Let's think of something really simple, oral sex. Oral sex, some people may think, heck, it's rare. No, it's not about 80%. Statistics would say couples enjoy oral sex. So what's the problem there? One of the myths about oral sex is that you might get bugs from the genitals. As a doctor, let me assure you, you've got more bugs in your mouth than your spouse has in their genital. So you're giving bugs, not getting bugs. The other thing is people feel uncomfortable. Isn't it kind of smelly? We'll have a hot shower together. And then it's all nice and smell, nice and clean. And then you may feel better. But in spite of that, if one partner really doesn't like to have oral sex, then it is psychologically harmful. Now, one of the problems here is that for some people, rare hopefully, but if there's any history of sexual abuse, then the genitals can feel like dirty. And so if there's any history of sexual abuse, there's anyone here or anyone you know, those things have to be dealt with. Because if you're going into a relationship to marriage, while you're carrying that history of abuse, it will affect your desire and your lovemaking, like going into marriage with a backpack full of rocks. So if there's anyone who's struggling with anything, i just take a side track here. Please share with someone, get help, get rid of that backpack, and then you will function better as a couple. So that's oral sex. What about sex toys? Now there are toys and there are toys. Now there are don't go into an adult shop. It is unhelpful. Remember neuroplasticity? You see unhelpful things there. Have a look online. And there are some things that are playful. There's a thing called sex dice, D-I-C-E, where one dice has parts of the body and the other one has things to do with it. So remember the bum tickles, bum scratches, those things come from there. <laughs> playful, fun. What about dildos or vibrators? These are, for those of you who don't know, plastic 
things that are shaped like a penis and they vibrate because they have batteries in them. And now they come in multicolors and some of them light up and they even play music. I've never seen a live one that does anything like that. Now for many couples, many couples, it's part of a sort of a play routine. And for occasional play routine, I said, you know, that's okay. If as a couple you want to use it as part of your sex making, love making, that's okay. But a proviso here. For women who say that I can't have an orgasm, so I get a vibrator, and that's how I can have an orgasm. Proviso here is that if you you will, because it's so intense, you put it in your genitals, you'll have an orgasm. But but your brain will get wired to that intense stimulation. And let me assure you, you will never find a male penis that vibrates that fast. <laughs> never. So don't wire your brain to that as a source of satisfaction. So that's six toys. I'm happy for you to ask more questions. Porn, we've already talked about. What about fantasy of something while you're having sex? I always tell people, why do you want to fantasize about someone else while you're having sex with your spouse? That is the same as being unfaithful. Because you're actually fantasizing sex with someone else while you're with your partner. And so God says that is same as having sex with that other person. What about fantasy of, you know, doing something with your spouse? Why fantasize? Open your mouth and talk to your husband or wife and say, this is what, how about we think about this? I mean, sometimes it's like I'm fantasizing about sex in the back garden in the middle of the afternoon or something. I mean, look, if you live in a block of unit with blocks of units next to you or something, may not be a good idea. But if you live in a, a quiet road in, you know, Springwood where, you know, the neighbors can't look in, well, why not? So... You know, discuss it. So rather than fantasize, share your fantasy. And your husband or wife might say, why not? You know, making, making out in the back seat of your car. You know, why not? So share your fantasy. One of the things couples sometimes ask me is, what about anal sex? Now, as a doctor and a sexologist, I would say anal sex is the one thing that I would recommend. It's not a good practice because the anus was made for things to come out of, not to go in. The lining is such that it can get really traumatized and the incidence of anal cancers are higher for those of people who practice anal sex, same sex and other sex. So, I tell people, God's given you this wonderful playground in the front garden, complete with slippery dips. Why do you want to go to the back garden and play in the loo? Why? So, enjoy the good createdness. So, I'm happy to talk about any others. So, let's go on to the next slide. I'm aware of the time. What about actually mechanics? of lovemaking. And here I'm giving you the, I'm going to introduce it and talk about few things, and I'm more than happy to take questions here. Problems with erections, or impotence, if that's the word you want to use. This uh, cartoon here, where she's saying, we make a great team, I just we wish we would score more often. So when the scoring is not enough, what happens? After, I'm sad to tell you this, but the statistics tell us that for men, after 40 years of age, about 40% of men will have occasional concerns with erections. 
And that's kind of part of the process, because the penis is extremely, uh, very mechanically complex organ. Now, therefore, the important thing is to recognize that you don't get too anxious about it. We call that performance anxiety. The very word performance is like, unless I get that great erection, I'm not going to get the applause. You know, that feeling that men have. Don't concentrate. The more you concentrate, the more, more it will affect your performance, your erection. So, that being said, it is, and the proviso on that is, if you have concerns with getting an erection, because the penis is such a complex organ, go get a medical checkup. Because the penis also acts like a barometer for health. So diabetes, hypertension, drug, in, any sort of medication, some medications, all these things, first signs can actually be problems with erection. Premature ejaculation. This is when a man says, I come too soon. It's a question of what is too soon. Sometimes the man would say, I come too soon. Then I ask the wife and she says, not soon enough. So the <laughs> thing is that he's maybe watching porn and thinking, oh, he's got to have it this long and go on forever. So the, the reality is be real, realistic about it, talk about it. But if you still feel you need help, go and ask someone, go see counseling. Pain during intercourse. This is uh, something, again, that we often see in young women or newly married. It's because you believe the worldview that the moment you get married, everything's got to be perfect. Look, the reality is that, no, you ask your married friends. You know, it takes time. Sometimes it takes time to even find where things go. You know, if you're, in, if you're a computer nerd and you're marrying a librarian, oh, librarians would have read the sex book. I mean, you know, if you're marrying an engineer and neither know anything about the anatomy, which is why we have a whole chapter for Engage, take time to get to know each other. So I'm happy to take questions on that. And another big myth is this simultaneous orgasms. We've got to have a climax together. You can enjoy, especially for women, enjoyment of sex is possible even without having a climax. Again, we have a, send me questions if you want me to talk more about any of these. Can I have the next slide, please? Okay. Above all, do not play the blame game. It's like Adam and Eve, where Adam was asked, what did you do? And he said, me? You sent the woman. She's the one who made me do it. And then the woman goes, me? You put the snake in the garden. And of course, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. But the point is, don't do it. Communication, we've talked over and over again. Ephesians 4, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. And who is a closer neighbor than your spouse? It says, in your anger, do not sin. Before you scream and say, you never give me enough sex, or you know, you're not doing this, think about it. Do not in your anger speak out. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Pray together, read the Bible together. You're not going to be able to go to bed and have sex if you're angry with each other. Do not give the devil a foothold. So it is important to communicate, to talk to each other. Ephesians 4 says, you know, compromise. There are times when you have to actually compromise that you don't always get what you want. 
You know, there are times in a marriage where you, you know, one person may really want sex and the other one is like, not in the mood. But you think, you know what, let's go with it. So I tell couples, there are times when having sex is like a drive through McDonald's, a basic quickie. And that's okay. And at other times, it's a three-course gourmet French cuisine. So play around with that. And if sometimes there are times when you, when I tell couples, there are times when you just put the oars in the water and start rowing and your boat moves. So compromise and forgive each other. It's so important. And finally, it is okay to ask for help. Ask for help from maybe another Christian couple whom you are close to. Build those relationships Ask for help. It is so important. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, your marriages are like a spice garden. So spices are of all flavors. Enjoy all the flavors. When God wanted sanctification, holiness, and the angels were saying, how are we going to teach these humans holiness? He said, marriage. That's where they're going to learn sacrifice, compromise, everything, but also true love. The sacrificial love which took Christ to the cross is the love that you will show each other and will build your marriage up. Next slide. Thank you. So, finally, I just want to end. We've already talked about this. Your marriage shows the world the shape of the gospel the love and sacrifice that met on the cross, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, show the world this. Your marriages, you are a walking, talking, evangelistic tool. Love each other. Keep that intimacy strong. Intercourse is incidental. Intimacy is important. All those eyes. It's important. You know, hold on to that. The cuddles, the holding on to each other, that will hold you together. Don't let the lies of the world draw you to take it out, the fire out of God's good boundary. But when things go wrong, forgive and ask for help. Remember, we worship a God who said, we are all sinners. I stand before you as a sinner. And God came and died for us. So hold on to that. And know that you are not here by chance as husband and wife. You were brought together by God for a purpose. Live your lives to the glory of God. Thank you and amen. Thank you very much. We're going to get straight into a Q&A panel. And so I'm just going to invite Sam to come and bring up the, the chairs. You're welcome to stay if you'd like to um, and, and come and join us on the panel. panel. I'm going to invite uh, Jamie and Emma as well to come and join us and Felicity. And uh, we're just going to ask some questions. If you um, do still want to ask questions um, that are maybe based on that, that session that we've just gone through, you can send through, um, we'll put up on the screen again the, the mobile number. Uh, if you want to send a question through, you can do that. And we'll just read some of the ones we have already received and, uh, and start to go through them as well. Come and grab a seat, guys. Who enjoyed that? Come on, it was good. Fantastic. 
Just bringing the microphones up. Fantastic. Well, let's just get straight into it. We've already, I feel like we've had a, um, you know, a session, a conversation that's already kind of got um, it started. But this is a great question. The first one says, sex in marriage often changes after having children for different reasons, tiredness, exhaustion, lack of time, lack of desire. What advice can you give to couples who struggle in this area due to having young children? I think it's a really great question couple of things and the first thing is to recognize this is absolutely fascinating that soon after the birth of a baby and stay with this like research where the husband is actually involved in caring for the baby his testosterone levels go down so in other words his sort of I want sex feeling is subdued Isn't God good that way? He says the more you are involved in nurturing the child, the more you're going to be involved in the bonding rather than gimme, gimme, gimme sex. And so, first thing is, husband and wife share the duties. And that's important. The second thing is that unfortunately we think of sex is not happening as intercourse is not happening. This is really important. So even When you come home the day after you had the baby, intimacy is still possible. So you can still sleep in each other's arms, even when the baby is in the bassinet by your side. And that's intimacy. So concentrating on intimacy and then finding time for sex. And that's, there's no easy answer there. You've got to find time. And look, it's okay to have sex when the kids are in the next room. It really is okay. If little Johnny runs into the room while you're having sex, it's okay. It's just a teaching moment. Maybe not at that moment, but it is a teaching moment that mommy and daddy, this is a time when mommy and daddy are really loving each other. And you might have some curly questions, but that's okay. You know, just... It's okay. Well, put a lock on the bedroom door next time, but it's okay. So, what are we learning here? Intimacy is important. Find time and share responsibilities. Sometimes the sexiest place is the kitchen sink. And so, sharing the duties, sometimes sex starts in the kitchen, sometimes even ends in the kitchen. But the sharing duties makes time. A woman will feel loved when a man shows that he loves her. And that's not just having intercourse, but it's even helping out in whatever the duties are in the home. And this is so important. You guys, young ones, add something to that. question was just basically about how do you maintain intimacy when you've got young children and so obviously Patricia's talked about more of the maybe intercourse side but what about some of the ways that you have even incorporated dating or trying to spend time together with having young children as well and managing that tension between keeping your marriage strong but being a good mum and a dad at the same time. Yeah, look, I think that one of the things that um, I mean to be serious from would be just around time management, um, making sure that you're just taking that time 
together to plan things, I guess, proactively, like that you're, um, you're looking, sometimes it gets hard as life gets busy, um, you know, certainly like, you know, it's, it's um, what, before you marry, before you have kids, there's obviously a lot more spontaneity, um, so when you marry, there's not too many kitchen sink moments, <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, you would have the Glen 20 on, on, uh, <laughs> on standby, um, anyway... Um, but look, um, look. I think that it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I guess, you know, you need to be a lot more proactive in in your approach to to what you're doing. Is not only just to to sex, but just by by dating each other, really. I think that's the importance of like you can't always. Uh, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that's uh, the thing of like you can't always be spontaneous when there's kids in the house. And so making the time, like you said, time management is important, yeah. whether it be for sex or for anything else. Just yeah. making that time is important. That's great. I would say too, I think tiredness for me, I like my sleep. So <laughs> if I get a good sleep, then I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, actually that's an important point because for some couples, the timing of sex and intimacy changes. Where when you were sort of, childless and young and fit and you know you had the night on the town and you came back half drunk and then you could make love till one o'clock in the morning when you know that there's kids and you've got to get up and do this and do that and you're tired sometimes early morning may be a better time to have sex so maybe changing around timing is important or in the afternoon when you know you've got an afternoon off and the kids are in school or whatever or send your kids to youth group <laughs> Let somebody else look after them while you have sex. Drop them off. We'll be back in two hours. Rush home. Uh, youth attendance is about to skyrocket. <laughs> youth group numbers going up here. I've got a question for you, perhaps particularly Patricia. So there's lots of myths surrounding sex in marriage. What's the truth about how often marrieds are having sex versus unmarrieds? There's actually no true statistic there. The fact is that people vary a lot of variation. Because we are counting intercourse, that's the problem. You see, when you're talking premarital, you're counting intercourse. You're not asking people who are not married, how often do you cuddle? Or how often do you just show someone that you love them? Whereas in marriage, we are talking someone, how often do you have sex? You're like thinking, what are you talking about? You know, when you're, okay, when my, Vasanta, my husband works as a volunteer with the Anglican Retirement Villages. And I was talking to some chaplain or carers there. And once one of them was saying, there's these two couples who are in a wheelchair. They're in their like 90s. So what they, they wheel the two wheelchairs together and they put their feet on each other. And they're kind of playing footsie. And that is intimacy for them. So does that count as sex? So there is no, very, there is no true statistic when it comes to marriage. And frankly, it doesn't matter. You have intercourse if you want to. But you must have intimacy. And intimacy statistics, like I said, should be at least three times a day. 
And so I won't, I don't believe in the statistics. Sure, it seems like pre-married, out of married are having more intercourse. Of course, because if you're having sex with different people, you're just having sex for having sex and for the temporary toilet bowl trash bin orgasm. But in marriage, you're building something permanent. That takes time, effort, and true enjoyment. Yeah. What about you young ones? You want to add something? No, Felicitate anyone? <laughs> That's great. So we've talked a little bit about, in, in some of the other sessions, about pornography, but what is the effect on a marriage when there is perhaps a partner that's struggling with that or they've had an addictive behaviour with that and then they bring that into the marriage? And that can obviously have a psychological effect, I'm sure, on one of the partners. But what kind of impact can that have on the marriage and how can a married couple work on that together? Mm. This, firstly, good question, complex question, so I'll give you just some guidelines here. One is that it is never one person's problem. So if one spouse has been watching porn, it has a tremendous effect on the partner. Because what does a partner feel? Rejected, devalued, not desired, actually feels, I must be ugly. I must be somebody who's someone nobody can desire. Because why else would my husband or my wife turn to watching porn. So it has a huge effect on the self-esteem of the spouse. Very hurtful. Second is, is you, your desire drops. It just drops. Because you only, your, the, the rewiring of the brain means you only desire porn. You no longer desire your spouse. So you get couples where the woman would say, I, I don't know, what you're talking about. You're talking about men feeling desire, but my husband doesn't desire me. I'm the one who wants sex. He doesn't seem to want me. The first thing we now sadly think about is pornography. There are other reasons where men don't kind of fit that traditional pattern. It can be just tiredness because today some men are working so hard that, you know, forget erections. That needs a bit of energy. They have no energy. So it's a tiredness. And the other thing that we are seeing now is that men are feeling devalued in the kind of, now we don't have time to go into this in detail, but in the kind of Me Too generation. I'm sure you're aware of the kind of Me Too talk about, you know, women have to be this and that and men are like, you know, it's like they are the sort of horrors who are always like treating women badly. And men are feeling like threatened as to their masculinity. And we need to draw back and say God has a role for men. So anyway, all those reasons, men are not, there are men who are not fitting into that typical, you know, pattern we talked about. But pornography decreases sexual desire. Now, finally, it also affects actual function. And for men, especially, if you, if you and men watch porn, they have trouble having erections. So much so that in sexology circles we have a name for it. It's called porn-induced erectile dysfunction or PIDE. You'll never look at a PIDE the same way again, <laughs> but never mind. Porn-induced erectile dysfunction. So, porn in marriage destroys marriages. But the flip side is God is a good God and you can reverse it. So it needs to be worked on. Again, as I said, it's very complex. It won't happen overnight. But firstly, the couple need to recognize that forgiveness is important here. 
you know, a couple need to forgive. But repentance is also important. So the person who's watching porn needs to be able to, needs to repent of it and recognize the destructive effect of it. Then the couple can move forward. So repentance, forgiveness. Just give you a quick example. I once was counseling two couples with almost identical concerns. He had been watching porn. She discovered it on the computer. One couple was so stuck. She was like, I cannot forgive him. He didn't desire me. I can't. Second couple in about a month with all the sort of, you know, what I mentioned earlier, setting the sort of accountabilities and everything. In about a month, they came back sort of smiling and saying, yeah, we are okay. We are moving forward. And I asked her, how were you able to forgive? And she said to me, and it still sends chill down my spine when I think, she said, you know, Patricia, we are both Christians. God forgave me, a sinner. How can I not forgive this man whom God has brought into my life? That was very, it was an eye-opener to me that, you know, that is so important. It's not easy. Forgiveness is never easy. Same thing if you've had an unfaithful spouse. It takes a lot to forgive. But we worship a God who forgave us. And therefore, we too can forgive. But if there's anyone who wants, and I'll send Felicity a little two or three page on working through pornography, I think that will be useful. That's great. So here's another one, perhaps particularly for you, Patricia. How do the various stages in a woman's life affect her sexual desire and sexual relationship? So, you know, motherhood, perimenopause, menopause. Mm -hmm. Aging. Aging and sex, okay. 71-year-old. What would she know about it? Okay, so the reality is that, yep, change, things happen two, in two ways. One is your body changes, right? When you are young and fit and flexible, that door, dear, remember, everything in the right place kind of time, everything functioned. Then you age and everything slows down. Look, think, if you, there was a bus you had to catch, in the old days, when I was like 20 years old or 25, before arthritis hit in and cardinal arteries start hardening, the bus, you could hear the bus at the top of the road and run and catch the bus. When you reach 6, 40, 50, you need the bus timetable and start walking 20 minutes before if you want to catch it. Sex is like that. With age, planning becomes important, compromise and a great sense of humor is important because things always don't pop up when you want them. And things can get difficult. What do I mean? That with aging in men, the whole process takes longer. So erections take longer to happen and sometimes don't happen. But often when they do happen, the good thing is they stay that way for a while longer. So, ejaculations may take longer to happen, and sometimes they don't happen. This is particularly so if you have had surgery, especially prostate surgery. If you've had prostate surgery, what happens is they scoop out your prostate. Oh, how charming thing to be talking about. You know, you get in, I'm a doctor, you know, I can sort of do, say these things. You go in and you scoop the prostate out. So what happens is that the semen, instead of coming out, may go back into the bladder. It's called retrograde. It goes back. 
And so you may not have the ejaculate that you, you know, you could shoot out and hit the opposite wall type of thing. <laughs> Won't happen. But then neither does, neither does your urine flow. Try hitting the wall the way you did when you were a teenager. Ain't gonna happen. So it slows down. So erections, ejaculation, these things slow down. Now, so what happens for a woman? For a woman with the lack of hormones, the uterus, the, the vaginal wall becomes thinner. It's basically saying, look, mate, I've had the babies. Can I have a rest? And so if you still want to have intercourse, you can use estrogen creams or I say a lubricant and saliva is a great lubricant. So there's your imagination now can work on that perimenopausal ones. But if you really want to have penetrative intercourse, you can have creams or use a lubricant. But again, the important thing is that yes, things change. Yes, things slow down. But intimacy continues. So have all the intimacy and occasional intercourse if you want it. Well, you can get help. Even if you had surgery, medications, some medications affect sexual function in men and women, more so for men because of erectile function. But talk to your doctor. Never be ashamed to ask for help, to go and talk to your doctor about it. Because there are ways. You know, sometimes it's just basic as changing your medication for high blood pressure, heart problems, just changing your, or sometimes even depression, any kind of psychological, mental problem. The drugs you take can affect your sexual function and your desire. Okay? So, desire is not necessarily tied in with aging. You can be 100 years old and still feel in your brain that you want sex. But the body functions change. That's good. That's I good. won't ask you to add anything because you're far <laughs> too young to know anything about aging. Oh, that's great. I have um, kind of two questions I'm going to kind of try to pile into one. But this is, you've kind of touched on this already about the difference between intimacy and then, and then just having sex. Um, but this person here has asked, what is a healthy minimum amount of sex for a married couple to be having each week? And then there's another question, which is a different question altogether, but I'll link into it. It says, there is info presented that implies men require release as a physiological need. Is it, a, is it correct or a justification? Okay, I'll take the first, second one first. This is a myth to say that men must have a release of semen. Therefore, you need to masturbate or have intercourse. That is so wrong. Semen is continually being produced. If it doesn't go out in masturbation or intercourse, it is either reabsorbed or you have a night ejaculate. And so wash your sheet, big deal. You do not have to ejaculate. So what about this story of I get blue balls? You do not get, well, I cannot get blue balls because I don't have them. But the reality is that no man will get blue balls. If you have blue balls, you'd seriously need to go see your doctor because it means that you have got something wrong with the blood flow to your scrotum. <laughs> or you have been carrying around a blue textile in your underwear. So seriously, you need to do something about it. So nothing happens. It is not a justification. 
Now, for the other part of the question, the first part was, so is there a, even a minimal must-have sex or intercourse? Again, I would say the same thing. The moment we say that we must have intercourse, we are buying into a worldview that says, unless I have intercourse, I can't be satisfied. You can be happy with never having intercourse. You can be happy and content and actually sexually content. It is possible. We need to get our head around that because that is a completely opposite to the worldview. Okay, that's the first thing. But intimacy is absolutely important. And so build up as much intimacy as possible and have sex occasionally. Now, that is not an excuse for a spouse saying, but Dr. Patricia said that we never have to have intercourse. Sometimes intercourse is serving your spouse. And that too is a good thing. Because in 1 Corinthians 7, your body belongs to your spouse. So husband, your body belongs to the wife. Wife, your body belongs to the husband. And sometimes you serve by going along with sexual intercourse, even when you're not climbing, swinging from the chandelier with desire. That being said, one final proviso, that is not an opening for demanding sex. That is abuse, whether it be in marriage or out of marriage. So compromise, loving, communicating, and serving each other, be it in the kitchen, or in the bedroom, is an important part, the important thing in a marriage. So good. How good was that? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I thought that was a great, great session. And uh, Jamie, your facial expressions were a huge blessing to me I during know, that. That's good. <laughs> We've um, defunct the uh, blue balls argument as well. <laughs> I'm glad to have that argument sorted out. That's fantastic. Well, on that beautiful note, uh, let's go and have some afternoon tea. We have one more session after this, which you don't want to miss. Something special for you after that. So go and grab some afternoon tea. And I, be I believe Patricia and Vasantha are heading off now. And so would you give them a hand one, hand one more time? They've just done an incredible job today. Thank you so much.
sing hallelujah. 